I think fun is anything that's that's pleasurable, right?、Mm. And so we realized that a lot of what we had talked about pre-pandemic was really forced fun, which isn't fun at all for most people. Welcome to Starts at the Top, our podcast about digital leadership and change. I'm Paul Thomas, and I'm Zoe Amma. Today's episode is a little different from our usual format as we talk about fun in the workplace. Yeah, what we're sharing today is a great discussion Zoe and I had in December with Emmy O'Shaughnessy, who's director of innovation and growth at Oxfordshire Youth, and Michael Rucker, creator and author of The Fun Habit, a brand new book about the pursuit of joy and wonder and how it can change your life. Michael is also CDO at Active Wellness in San Francisco and an organisational psychologist and behavioural scientist. This was a fascinating conversation, and we're so pleased to be launching it during the week, which is supposed to be the hardest in January every year. And we covered a lot of ground in this chat with Emmy and Michael. And one of the things that we talked about was how we define fun and how do we make it inclusive for everyone when we all have very different ideas about what fun looks and feels like. So, Paul, how do you see fun? When have you had the most Fun at work. Well, right now, Zoe. Right now. <laughs> right now, this podcast.、Um, yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it? And I think we go we we go into this in some detail in in the episode. But the、um, uh, the the conversations we all used to to have about oh, let's go and have a fun day out. Let's go and do a team building exercise and that sort of thing. And and how that is just not fun.、Um, I think most of the fun that、um, I found at work was in the one-to-one interactions with people and making sure that the people that gave me energy, I guess, and made me happy at work were the people that I sought out and, and spent time with.、Um, and it was always good if those people were in your team and the people you worked with day to day. But you know, I think for me, it was about、uh, the people、uh, and just making sure I I made time to to be with them. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, as someone who is an introvert, I've never really liked that enforced idea of fun, and especially back in the days when I worked in the city and in a corporate environment, there were a lot of assumptions about fun that I found quite challenging as as, as a young woman, especially a woman of colour. So, for example, everyone's going to go out drinking and get really hammered, and 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 that's not really me because certainly. Now I, I I don't drink a, at all. I'm half Chinese, and it makes me go bright red and feel quite ill. So I think that's one of my takeaways from this episode. Actually, it's not about this top-down idea of this is what I think fun is, because that can create a really weird power dynamic. It's actually about empowering people to tease out what what their idea of of, of fun means to them. Yeah, no, I think that was key, wasn't it, in this conversation? Everybody's idea of what fun. Means is completely different.、Uh, you drew up the、um, the dictionary definition, which was more about、um, joy and enjoyment and and pleasure and those sorts of things. And and everyone、um, experiences that in different ways.、Um, and to make it really inclusive is to make sure that you listen. I think、um, Emmy will make a point that everyone will hear later. Uh, about listening and, and making sure that you involve everyone in the in the decision, so you don't end up、um, in a pub or、uh, in a in an escape room or something like that with people that you don't want to spend time with. It's about spending time and energy with those people that give you that energy back. 
Oh, God, absolutely. You've reminded me I'm going to an escape room for my 12 year old's birthday party tomorrow. Um, so I don't know whether that's going to be fun. It's going to be fun for him, certainly. <laughs> but it's interesting <laughs> what you say there just before we get into that conversation, because for me, fun is, is about nerding out with a, a ton of post-its and people who I love working with and who I'm learning a lot from. And then for other people, it, it might be that trip to the pub after work so you're right I think we need to look at this in a much more democratic inclusive way for sure for sure and I think that's what um we 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 sort of arrived at during this conversation um and uh is the entire focus of Michael's books we don't want to take too much away from him we just want to get on and share the episode um and see what uh see what Emmy and uh, Michael have to say and now for our conversation with Emmy and Michael we are very excited to have two amazing guests here on Starts to the Top today. Emmy O'Shaughnessy is the Director of Innovation and Growth and Deputy CEO of Oxfordshire Youth. Studying her MA in Applied Theatre at Goldsmiths College led Emmy to practice community arts, particularly with young people in care, disabled young people and those living through mental health challenges. Her studies explored the themes of love and creativity as joint catalysts for community-powered healing and social change. She has been a charity CEO for a community arts centre, founding the first disability youth arts festival in Oxford, RAW, and a trustee for arts organisations working with young women, a youth worker and a poet. Her own care experience has been a guiding presence in establishing core values of belonging, community healing, joy, creative freedom and kindness. In her current role, she centres collaboration and imagination in designing systems change approaches to tackling the root causes of inequality in Oxford, the second most unequal city in the UK. We are also delighted to welcome Dr. Mike Rucker to the podcast today. He is an organisational psychologist, behavioural scientist and charter member of the International Positive Psychology Association. He has been academically published in publications like the International Journal of Workplace Health Management. His ideas about fun and health have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Fast Company, Psychology Today, Forbes, Vox, Thrive Global, Mindful, Mind Body Green, and more. He currently serves as a senior leader at Active Wellness and is the author of the new book, The Fun Habit, which is available in January 2023. Welcome to Starts at the Top, Emmy and Mike. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yeah. We are so thrilled to have you both here today. And before we hit record earlier, we were talking about how those definitions, and maybe even those experiences of, of fun have evolved for all of us uh, since March 2020. So I wondered whether we could start with you, Emmy, and you could tell us about how your definition of, of, of fun has evolved since that time. Yeah, I mean, it, it does still feel like we're living in a kind of before and after times so and now we're kind of integrating this um the experiences we all had through covid and and feeling our way through to to what our lives are like now and 
still processing, I think, a lot of what happened um, and how it's changed us. So I don't think there's been a hard and fast um, transformation of, of what fun means to me. I think the way that I have fun and the way that we have fun together in work and within friendship is still similar to the ways that we had fun before. But I suppose what happened for me in work um, during the pandemic and that period was really an opportunity to be creative about how we could stay in connection um, and bring ourselves and our humanity to the fore during really, really troubling, uncertain times. And, you know, at at that time I was running the art centre, so I wasn't where I was now. And, you know, we we found a way across the team of 13 that we were then of sharing and exchanging stories that that bonded us together. Um, And I think one of the definitions I most kind of am drawn to around fun is this sense of lighthearted pleasure. And that felt like a really difficult state to get into during COVID, the feeling of being lighthearted um, during such a, a difficult and lonely time. But we, you know, I think people did manage it. And I remember back to all of those amazing videos that were being shared in the early stages with a surge of creativity in terms of how people were expressing this new experience of being in lockdown in really creative ways brought people a sense of lighthearted pleasure at a really difficult time. And it was really interesting to to observe that over the course of COVID, those really started declining, I think, as the the weight and the heaviness of that human experience just felt like interminable. Um, And so kind of within our own organisation, we did find ways of kind of sharing music and songs that we loved. I remember posting, putting things in the post, boxes of cookies to members of the team with a little handwritten note um, just to keep those, those connections and those bonds feeling rich. But I think that is one of the things about an experience like COVID and what we went through, and now with the cost of living crisis, is that the longer heavy situations go on, the kind of more effort <laughs> you have to put in to really fight for the importance of pleasure and fun and joy, it's, it's, it becomes more difficult and challenging, but even more necessary. Absolutely. Fun can feel like quite a hard one state, can't it, when we're going through this continuous period of, of turbulence like this. Mm. And Mike, how about you? How has your definition of fun changed since, since COVID began? Well, I think dovetailing off of Emmy, um, the definition per se hasn't changed. You know, for me, it's similar in psychology. There's this academic term called valence that essentially just means pleasure or lack of pleasure. And so mm. I think fun is anything that's that's pleasurable, right? Mm. And so COVID didn't necessarily change that. I think what COVID did in the context of fun at work is that we realized that a lot of what we had talked about pre-pandemic was really forced fun, which isn't fun at all for most people. And so one, there was this empowerment, right? Because autonomy was essentially a component to be able to survive that. I mean, bosses had to essentially relinquish some control to allow their companies to continue to operate. And I think people felt comfortable with that and realized that they had a little bit more agency 
um, maybe than they did before. And so now what we're seeing is that folks post-pandemic understanding that, hey, fun at work specifically is supposed to be a little bit more inclusive. I would bring up the um, you know, French case that was um, popular last week about the gentleman that just um, you know, won a court case saying that my company's version of fun wasn't fun for me at all. And, um, you know, when he had kind of expressed his opinions, he was fired and he ultimately won that case. Right. And I think that's a good example of what's kind of happening across the board globally is like, you know, if you're prescribing or suggesting that I have to do something, that's really an extension of work. That's not necessarily fun for me. And so strong leaders are really co-creating these inclusive environments and approaching them with a lot more empathy, which I see as a good sign Mm -hmm. um, and a change post-pandemic than what was happening pre-pandemic. I'm so pleased you've raised that news story because Paul spotted it earlier this <laughs> week and DM'd it to me. So we must talk about this on Friday with Emmy and Mike. Um, yeah. Paul, can you just give us some background on the news story for anyone who's not familiar with it? Well, I have to try and remember. Yeah, but it was a French, uh, a French guy who sort of literally stood up and said, "No, um, this forced activity is not something that I want to to do." And because he he sort of stood up for 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 well, probably many people within the organisation who had a similar view uh, to him, they fired him for it, and he took them to court. I mean, that's essentially it. Um, and I guess it is that sense, isn't it, that we all have within organisations, and often it's around things like. Um, you know, recently with somebody I've been working with, there've been discussions about why is fun always associated with going to the pub and alcohol? Why is fun always associated with taking me out of my day to day and supplanting me somewhere where mm. I'm now forced to take part in an activity that just isn't fun for me, you know, because mm. I don't like um, that sort of thing. Um, and I think there's a very different, there's a different thing there, isn't there? Versus what, Emmy and Michael have shared, which is is much more based around uh, kindness and fun as a as, as a sort of um, um, a lightener to the heaviness of, of of work, rather than yeah what we've all been used to team building, which is is not the same thing. Yeah, I was thinking this morning actually about um, this idea before we met in terms of forced fun because I read one of your. Like, uh, blogs mice on this before. <laughs> really interested in it because um I was thinking about the Google offices and when they first started putting out the images of them having kind of slides at work and table tennis setups and their environment just being this kind of mini playground and I was thinking how at the time people um there was quite a lot of buzz around it being a creative environment and one that was um, stimulating this playfulness and creativity and then I think the the more I've reflected on it and especially after reading your um, blog Mike I was thinking it actually there's something a little bit sinister about those environments that in some ways are trying to control your states of mind and being for the purpose of you being more productive like is it was the purpose of designing those environments to genuinely from the heart create create a relaxed um playful space or is it to create a kind of artificial sense of fun where people go and kind of decompress a little bit from work so that they go back to work and work harder and that for me feels like a kind of 
undercover mechanism of capitalism to like yeah. make it look pretty on the outside but is it coming from a really authentic place of wanting people just to have a good quality of life um and and connect with each other in a meaningful way those are my thoughts on environments and how we build fun looking environments that work in a way that's like authentic yeah i think it, it's twofold right like it, um Obviously, I agree with that since, <laughs> um, but I think allowing employees to self-select because Google mm -hmm. does do some things wrong, but where they get one thing right is they have affinity groups. Um, and so that allows employees some self-selection, like I yeah. get to choose to do this rather than I have to do it. Yeah. And so I think that's the key distinction. It doesn't become an extension of work if you're self-selecting into it because it's something that you enjoy. Um, and the added benefit of that is it's generally um, uh, cross depart uh, departmental. So, you know, you're getting, there's no sort of um, leadership dynamic or, mm. uh, you know, where that can become quite problematic, right? If your boss asks you to come to happy hour, um, you're a lot less likely to say no. But mm. if you're self-selecting in and it's from a different team, um, then, you know, that might be something you actually want to do. And so mm. I think that that's the difference. Do you have any advice either of you on on some some principles on how we can make fun inclusive in the workplace? I think it starts with empathy, right? You really need to listen. Um, mm. I've been talking to a lot of folks smarter than me with this problem specifically, and I think the crux is psychological safety, right? I mean, that is the common theme that comes up. Mm. Um, one colleague of mine, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Harry, he said it in the most funny way. He's like, so in the States, a big team building thing is escape rooms. I don't know if they're as popular in the UK, but like, so you take a bunch of employees that don't like each other and then lock them in a room. Like, so that's our intervention. I, I thought that like in that context, that is terrible. Right. So I think starting, you know, uh, from a place of empathy and really listening and then co-creating that experience, whatever it is, you know, as something as simple as do we want to take this meeting outside and walk and do it because that's an appropriate thing. I mean, that's low level pleasure, but it's still making something, you know, that's kind of stuffy and boring within the context of a boardroom and making it more enjoyable. Right. And, you know, to things that are a lot more creative, um, you know, based on the, um, you know, what that particular group finds fun. So I think that's where it starts, psychological safety. I think that listening piece is really important. And, and I know that that, that requires time um, and really, and a real commitment from people in organizations say, building empathy requires really deep listening and that's gonna take time. And that's not necessarily like a work scheduled task. It's kind of a, a way of, being together as an organization um, and I think what I've what I've noticed recently in our organization we have about 50 plus employees is that there are just as many versions of what it means to have fun as there are people that you're working with right so recognizing the diversity of experiences and diversity of ways that people resource themselves um, through fun and what fun means to them and I've been since being asked to come on to this podcast I've been asking different people across the team different ages what does fun mean to you what would that look like um and there is 
it's the it's the recognition that um that there will be a real variety across the board and being able to be open to that diversity of experience when it comes to what brings people pleasure and what brings people joy is I think a really important part of making it inclusive um, and also giving choice so recently I've gave kind of three or four different things that I had found as activities for us to have some time together as a team and then we had a big discussion about it and what it would mean for people and what kind of felt a bit uncomfortable and out of the comfort zone and you know that was healthy and then the next time round it will be somebody else in the team who comes up with their selection and offers it out so I think that opportunity to bring choice is completely crucial um, as well as like really celebrating the diversity like the full spectrum of fun across the community you're working with and being willing to like dip your toes in somebody else's version to try it out and never know what it might teach you and um, and bring you it's funny though, isn't it? Because I remember, I remember back in um, in uh, my my sort of corporate days, um, we moved offices. We we had a really nice setup in one office. We moved to another, and there was a real sense of we've we've moved over here. We're all sitting in different locations. We're on, we're sort of not necessarily together in the same way that we used to be. How can we bring a sense of community and and, and adjustment? And we stole, I stole something from um, from Twitter, and I think it was. Um, I think it was something that was shared on on um yeah I can't remember where it was shared anyway it was stolen from Twitter and it was called tea time and what it meant was every Thursday at four o'clock we just had a um we made tea and cakes and we put them in the the kitchen area and if you wanted to come along to it you could come along and it gradually sort of the the the, the immediate thing was it was suspicion right? why do you want to give us tea and cakes and why four o'clock on a Thursday well, that just made sense. People were generally in the office on a Thursday. Friday was a time when people weren't around so much. It was a nice thing to lean into th- into Friday. But there was nothing to be suspicious about. But what it became was exactly that, where you had people that started to get in touch with me and said, can I have a slot at tea time? I want to update somebody on, I want to update the team on some work that we're doing or, or things like that. We even had it, um, it started to become a way for people that practice different religions to come and share their um holidays and experiences that, that that we wouldn't normally get as a team. This is how we celebrate um, uh, these religious festivals and things like that. But the 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 crux of it, the, the thing that started it was just us saying, right, half an hour on a Thursday, let's just take that out of the diary, make sure people know that they have something that they can come and attend. Um, and I don't know whether it still goes on today, probably not. But it was just one of those things that you said exactly what you said. It's it's giving people time. But isn't it funny how giving people that time is met with suspicion straight away? It is. And one thing that's not talked about enough is protecting people's leisure outside of work, right? Like, mm-hmm. so a crux to my academic research was with physicians, right? And so, but I'll be asked like, well, how do you make folks that work at a suicide hotline you know, have fun. And so there are going to be certain professions where within that work environment, because of what you signed up for, fun isn't an appropriate thing to interweave yep. within it. So in those cases, to be able to ensure that your employees have fun, then you need to protect their leisure time, right? And that's um, something that we just don't talk about enough. Like there's been a lot of studies done 
um, with regards to what happens during the lunch hour. And the people that have the most fun are just the ones that are allowed to choose it. So um, ironically, people would, if it's of their own choosing, will have more fun working through lunch than having lunch with their boss because they got to choose that's what they want to do. But also these times for renewal so often are like, okay, well, we'll just grind it out, right? Where mm -hmm. just that sort of break from the monotony allows you to come with a much more joyful sort of spirit when you return. Um, and that's true, especially here in the States with regards to just taking time off of work. I mean, you know, where the average um, leisure duration per year is 40 hours, which essentially means you only took five days off. You know, I mean, that's just, um, we know what the outcome now is because of all the studies on burnout. So, mm. you know, that's not necessarily a component while you're in work, but it is certainly a component of fun and work. And so, you know, we need to talk about that more too. What is one of the difficulties we're finding at the moment, just linked to what you were saying about how, how do you find or locate a sense of fun if you're run, running a suicide hotline? Is it appropriate to ever place that as a value base within that field or area of focus, or is it just about outside time? We run supported accommodation for young people who are who are kind of living through complex trauma. Um, lots of them are young people from the care system, unaccompanied asylum seekers. And recently we have worked on our values and we have brought fun into one of our value statements because as a youth charity we feel like it's really important that we are placing our attention on that as a kind of mechanism for healing with young people for relationship building um, for resilience and also just that a lot of children young people who are having a tough time don't often get to have a lot of fun so we've made this really big shift in our values to bring fun into it. But the, the, the resistance that came from within our team was from the team who are delivering supported accommodation support to those young people because their um, feedback was we don't have time for fun because we are on the front line. It is so relentless in terms of the issues and the levels of safeguarding and kind of complex trauma and the needs like it almost felt like an insulting lack of recognition of how serious and heavy their job was so how do we reconcile those because I don't want to be naive about this but I still do believe that fun um, a space for fun can be found in those environments and actually are really important as a kind of antidote for lightening some of the heaviness I don't have the answers but I'm curious what you think well, and I, you already brought up some of the answers, right? It's going to take time um, and it's going to require listening to what will allow them to build that resilience, right? I had the same challenges working with a physician group because at the time the CMO was the leader, right? So all I was doing was providing recommendations and everything was additive. And I was, we haven't created the space for these folks to be able to enjoy any of what we've just discussed. And, you know, we just didn't have the power within that well-being committee to um, manipulate the way they spent their work hours. Yeah. Um, if you do have any of that, I think it's starting with, okay, we understand that this is a heavy work task. And so maybe we don't start there, but how do we support you outside of, you know, the duty that you've kind of signed up for? Um, so that you can start, begin to, to create that space. 
I find whenever anyone's sort of stuck, it's because there is no capacity to add things on. We need to start yeah. with sort of figuring out how do we create a little bit more space so fun can live, mm. which is not easy. I know. It's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, mm, how do we but, do that and meet our contract KPIs? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I think, again, generally the most creative ideas do come from the group. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, we're here to support and we're here to listen. We're not going to prescribe right mm-hmm. here from at the starting line, what could we do to help? And then sometimes it's, again, and, and this is a lesson that I've only learned in the last year as well. Sometimes it has to start at psychological safety. Like I just don't feel safe right now, not because of the job or what leadership's doing, but mm-hmm. because there's such a heavy toll. Okay, let's fix that first. And then fun can kind of sprout from there. Um, so Hope that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's that's fascinating. And I think that sort of leads me to my next question, which is about what is the, the the value of fun if there is one? So I think we've touched on some things around well-being and employee motivation and maybe even some potential health outcomes, like you were saying, like if people can get away from work on time, even if they're doing a tremendously difficult job then they can go and, and and have fun and maybe let off some steam somewhere. But is, has there been any research done or have you seen anything in your workplace, Emmy, around what, what's the value of fun? Well, I can say what the science supports is we now know it sort of builds the building blocks of your purview, right? And so we've learned a lot about how the brain works, especially in the last decade. And it's not necessarily cause and effect like we thought. It's more predictive. Right. And so once we start to experience more fun and joy, optimism just naturally grows. And Mm. so we start to see things in a light that is just a little bit more joyful. And so there's some equity that happens once you're able to build that in. And so, you know, we're either generally kind of moving down this, the, you know, hedonic treadmill as it were, or moving up and, but there's this equity where we don't understand what's happening in the moment. We're either enjoying the moment or the, the moment's sort of bringing us down. And it's the, that joyfulness over time that helps build the resilience. And so that's why we need to protect it. And so that's when it becomes important because once you stop finding joy in everyday life, um, weird things start to happen. So specifically in my own work, um, with physicians, they'll start to lose empathy. And there's a direct line that correlates between lack of empathy and patient outcomes. So Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, now it's not just affecting the physician, but it's affecting everyone that they're treating. So it's pretty powerful stuff when you start Mm -hmm. to peel back the empirical data. Yeah. I was just thinking about the piece around how, how people are able to cope better under kind of continuous change but also how people are able to kind of sustain themselves when they're trying to advocate for change or working in the social justice and social justice movements and one of the people who I've been really influenced by is Adrian Marie Brown who wrote a book called Pleasure Activism and she's an incredible black activist from the states it's a great book oh my god it's so good (laughs) going to say everyone go and buy <laughs> and read this book um but I read that during the pandemic 
Um, and it was really, it was really fundamental in terms of shifting some thinking about the way that I have approached work in social justice for so long as a kind of, it's, that it's come from a place of like, it's just never enough. You know, we have to just keep on going and keep on going. And it's about, um, and it can be about community and relationships and all of the gorgeous things that work, my work in the community has brought as well. But also it can feel like, God, are we ever going to get there? Um, and what her book really helped me to think differently about was how, how approaching social, you know, oppression and social injustice from a place of, of thinking about what feels good for people. Like, where do you draw your sense of um, kind of inner power from or kind of who around you really lifts you why is that? And I suppose taking a really curious approach to um, getting to know yourself and all the things that bring you a sense of pleasure or joy or kind of fun or uplift is kind of the foundation actually for social justice work <laughs> because you, you can land on that when things get really tough and bounce back. And I just hadn't thought about it in that way before. So I think in terms in terms of how I suppose I've started seeing the value of fun within you know the voluntary sector and all the different social causes that we're you know lots of us are, are engaged with and passionate about never really seen fun as a potential kind of tool for furthering social change or a kind of resource for helping further social change I do think it really has some exciting um this is what her book made me think about. Like, wow, it can be like an amazing agent for change as well as just like a beautiful thing to experience that brings people together. Um, what does it mean kind of politically is something I hadn't thought about before I read that book. In my book, I spend a chapter unpacking it as well. And I think the, the simple frame, right, is that fun attracts and the levity, you know, sort of repels. And so to yeah. be able to even do that work um, if it's not fun at all, there are folks that sort of have a slant towards martyrdom and they'll eventually just burn out. Right. And so mm -hmm. the smart ones, the ones that are just crushing it, um, are the ones that kind of factor in renewal because they know the fight will never end. Right. These yeah. big causes, they might, you know, be lucky if they see one or two successes in their lifetime. And yeah. that can be really heavy when you think about it in context. Right. So if you're not enjoying the process along the way, even though it's this sort of awful thing, um, there are really, really poor outcomes, especially for folks that are in leadership positions in these places that feel like if they're not working all the time that they're failing in some manner. And mm -hmm. so trying to reframe in that way um, becomes extremely additive, right? And so I show some case studies where, you know, folks that aren't able to do that um, generally abandon the cause. Cause why would you want to just feel awful all the time? Right. I don't think it, it's, it's too much of a trope to say we're pleasure seeking animals. And um, we know it's way more complex than that, but we certainly don't want to feel awful all the time. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's one of those things that um, I feel that we fairly regularly th see through social media is that post that pops up in your feed that says, that's it. I've got to go away for a bit. I can't, do this anymore because of you know various reasons and it's that pause that people take and, and move away whereas i think what we're trying to say here is 
how do you support people who end up in that space to, to stop them getting to that point where they just have to walk away from everything? How do you sustain that on a, on a regular basis? And if you are fighting against huge injustice or, or whatever, it, it must be just physically exhausting. You've got to find that that sort of that level of that thing that brings you back and grounds you. Otherwise, you'll, you will burn out. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is what's missing for um, lots of people and organisations making a massive assumption here, but based on kind of experience and people that I have spoken to and and engaged with, is is the um, is the language around fun and bringing that into the workplace and for that to be normalized and part of the language of organizational development and, and leadership and that's again like this is another thing I really enjoyed about one of your pieces online was like well you actually just need to start by asking questions that use some of this vocabulary <laughs> and see what happens and for it not to be seen as fluff um you know and the kind of not serious stuff and I think that is that's the kind of beginning point, just bringing those conversation, bringing those questions into supervision, into team meetings and having open dialogue about um, what what it means for people, I think is really important. And the other thing I was just going to say about the value of fun is is around laughter. And I think I don't know about um, how everyone you know, hear what their experience was during COVID, but I definitely remember they're not just not being as much laughter heard <laughs> you know it was not a, because we were all so alone there was probably less of it just out and about in the supermarket hearing people have a giggle or um whatever waiting in the queue and um you know having a chit chat and making a joke those little interactions where laughter could bubble up just didn't go on and I think it's a really healthy sign that fun is being kind of encouraged and cultivated when you're in the office or when you're spending time with people that people are relaxed enough in their bodies to be able to laugh and have that kind of wholehearted that wholehearted laugh that is like you know it's obviously good for your health as well as proven isn't it that laughter is a really amazing thing for your nervous system and um in general so I always think when I've at work and I'm here and I hear people laughing together I'm like mm. <laughs> okay one, it's a great, good. yeah it's a great way to smash the hierarchy too right and then it's a social cue that yeah. there is something that we're connected to because we're laughing together and John Cleese has some amazing quotes that I won't try to butcher right now but I meant you know essentially how you know it's a great tool for democracy right because you know if two people are laughing together even if they don't necessarily understand each other it's um you know it's a quick way to connect in a really intimate fashion I love what you just mm -hmm. said <laughs> the, the example my family will kill me for this but the example it's just brought to mind was we traveled to the states about uh, four or five years ago and as english people entering the states there was all this sort of nervousness around well they're very vigorous at the um at the border patrol you know the police they're for, they're, they're going to check everything and when we walked through to through the airport we came to the um to the very serious looking policemen in their boston um uniforms and the guy we were directed towards looked quite frightening, to be honest. And as we walked over towards him, my my youngest son's trousers just fell down. And you could see this guy just crumple, just absolutely crumpled. And his smile came up and he started laughing his head off. And he just went, 
wait till I tell my wife about what just happened and we just had the most brilliant introduction to to bringing the kids into the states all because my child's trousers fell down it's that kind of level completely flawed someone into you're not in a position of power anymore you are you are me I am you off of comedy is timing right (laughs) (laughs) it really is and it's like hi we're British and we're British yeah (laughs) Yeah. well also there is something about like this the in the workplace anyway and I find this in organizations where there's really rigid hierarchy the um jokes happen kind of at each level (laughs) you know rather than like across all layers of the organization which is not comfortable but also you know this kind of notion that you have to retain a sense of seriousness and taking yourself seriously in your role is a signal that you are an expert or you have a level of authority um and I've always said you know to my team I take my work really seriously I really try and not take myself seriously and I think that is something I try and like hold um because it means that you don't take stuff personally and you know that we're fluid messy beings like just trying our best um and we're gonna make mistakes and consistently and um disappoint people and ourselves and get up and try again and I think that well I hope that that message kind of gives people that sense of like it's okay and I think fun and mistake making is actually really important as a link uh, as a connector as well just like we we're we're able to to mess up and it's okay we can have unless it's caused serious harm to somebody obviously then that's not funny but in general in our work we can make mistakes and just look at it and hold it with some lightness and our part in it with a little bit of humility and space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if a corporation or a workplace is struggling to do that, you know, then you just set up time where the guidelines are, you have permission. This is, this is our space. You know, generally it works best if it's a creative endeavor or you're trying to be innovative but like you, we're safe right now to, to mm-hmm. break things. Like the whole game right now is to, cause you're right. That's, ex- I mean, it's, you know, fun lives in a space that's not so outcome focused, right? It's the outcome mm-hmm. mentality that, that. that kind of, you know, where we bristle, right. And tense up because we're so focused on being right. And so any sort of playground quote unquote, that allows for, you know, creativity and not necessarily having to be right. It's fertile ground for having more fun. That is a good, I'm enjoying writing notes. <laughs> that was a great one. <laughs> I, I stole that one from John Cleese as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> he has an amazing um, seminar on it. So I'll send it your way. It's a, it's worth an hour. Yeah. I'd be interested to see that. Uh-huh. Um, and just before we, we wrap up, um, I think there's something so interesting in what you've both said about, how leaders can perhaps not measure this but just just be confident that the workplace they're making the workplace a bit more fun for people even if it's very low level stuff that still has makes a massive difference isn't it colleagues coming in and feeling safe to laugh with each other do you have any tips either of you around what can leaders do right now to create a bit more of that sense of joy and fun in the workplace well I love what I mean brought up um this idea that when inside jokes are only shared 
you know, at certain hierarchical levels that's send, sending a signal like, you know, that, that we're all different. And so figuring out ways to sort of be inclusive and that really that you need to lead by example. So a lot of times it's creating experiences that aren't necessarily department dependent, you know, mm. that, um, you know, um, and then again, uh, I would go back only because it's important and not talked about enough that there are signals that we're going to protect your leisure outside of work too. And again, I mean, the truth be told is it is a win-win like, you know, Emmy touched on with regards to Google is that if you provide those types of experiences, one, people live a more joyful life, but it also allows them to bring them be their best selves to work. And so to answer your question specifically, it is one leading by example. So everyone feels safe. It doesn't feel like they're these sort of guardrails against, you know, I'm only going to let my guard down here. And it definitely takes time again, easier said than done because psychological safety takes time. And why a lot of this kind of feels heavier than it should is we do, we can't really be a hundred percent our authentic selves, right? There's probably aspects that really aren't supposed to be shared, you know, because they might, they might make somebody else not feel safe. Right. So you sort of need to figure out, you know, if you look at it as a Venn diagram, what is that sweet spot where everyone is enjoying themselves and everyone's having fun? And unfortunately, the burden falls on leadership to find that, but that's the work, right? And then the second, again, is how do you create um, the environment and the space if it can't happen within um, the workplace outside of the work so that people just feel that they're living a fun life because they're enabled by the folks that they work with? Because really, if you think about it, the majority for most of us in the working world is at work. So it, it, there is sort of a requirement from leadership to protect the space outside of work. Because if they don't, especially in the you know, information age that we live in, if you're still answering emails you know, right when you get home, your kids see you on your phone as you walk in because you're still finishing up a meeting. And then you essentially plop down on the couch and are just answering emails until you essentially go to sleep that's an extension of work. That's not leisure. And so that's where those, you know, I, it, you, in the EU, they're doing a lot better job here than in the U S but I know, you know, some companies go as far as shutting down email servers at 5 PM on a Friday oh. so that there's no expectation that emails are answered on the weekend. So it's mm -hmm. that kind of stuff where leaders can really make an impact. That's really great, Mike. Mm -hmm. I love that focus on, because I think that work-life balance is so often talked about as a sort of individual responsibility. But actually what I love there is you said leaders have got some responsibility here, you know, to really protect that time. Because particularly in the charity sector, I work with so many amazing, really conscientious people who will do those extra hours because they're so passionate about the cause. But with leaders really saying, no, look, you know, go home, go and rest, go and be with your family. I think that's a, a real act of caring, isn't it? absolutely mm. or as I've we heard from michael wilkinson last um last, in our last episode mm. uh, where uh, the rnid where uh, um creating those um or having a, a getting rid of office hours for example so people mm. can fit what they want to to do around the work that they deliver i think that 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 really helps too being able to go for that run because you know that you have the the ability to work afterwards and sorry Emmy. I know Emmy's got to go off and do the school run in a moment. Sorry, <laughs> go for it. No, that's all right. I was just 
saying actually when Mike was describing parents coming home and working I was like wanting to hide under my thing (laughs) and I think it's like really important to say that we've got you know I personally have got a way to go I've done a good a good piece of work on myself in terms of just learning my own language of what it means to have fun in my life and with the people that I love and care about and it's I feel like we're quite early in that journey in my organization but I do know that joy is something that has always been really important throughout my work with communities and you know theatre applied theatre is an amazing mechanism because the ways that you build theatre together is just pure play loads and loads of games lots of stepping outside of roles um, experimentation failing safely improvising you know all of those ingredients I think are really important to having fun which I would love to bring more into my into the role that I do now but I think in terms of um in terms of tips I do think it's a starting place is to be able to make it familiar a familiar conversation to be having like a dialogue that's what you were you were saying Mike earlier just kind of inviting dialogue and then at leadership level, and this is where you know we absolutely have work to do in my organization because we're a frontline organization and young people have had such a tough two years and the need for our charity to um, to meet those you know meet those young people where they're at has been really full on and lots of people across the sector are knackered and burnt out and it feels like a big um changes needed from leaders in the third sector to say actually like we're not going to be martyrs about what our um and in how we work and how we carry out our roles we are really going to stand in this value um of protecting time for leisure breaks human connection that's all really important just because it's important not for any other reason um but i also was going to say that I think um, the flexible hours approach is really important because people, you know, might have a class that they can go to in the week, in the weekday at lunchtime because they have kids in the evening and they can't get childcare. So if work can support them to go and do a class or pick up a hobby that's at a different time that enables them to go, that's awesome. And I think that's really conducive to people maintaining like a better work-life balance in general. But the thing that's come back over and over again when we've run feedback um, with the staff team is the time. It's like, we just want time to be together. And when I've asked various people what their definition of fun is in my team, um, everyone has connected it to spontaneity like the kind of idea around spontaneous moments of human connection. It's always about relationships and it's always about like not forced fun, but just how we build that sense of like a relaxed state where we can have spontaneous moments of lightness and humor. Um, I remember last year when my son was, I had, he had to come into work with me and I had meetings and my team were amazing. They were hanging out with him. And I just stopped my meeting early and said, let's all go to the park, a big park outside. I was like, does anyone want to come? The whole <laughs> just came out with me. Everyone was just running around the playground. You know, I wasn't like, my child is coming in today and we're all going to go to the playground together and go down the slide. It was just in that moment I looked around and I thought, they're being awesome with my son. It's a beautiful day. Why don't we just step out? Anyone's welcome. And it's just like immediately that spontaneity and that's 
that invitation mm. gives people that permission just to like let go and go into the flow of it so I thought that was a good memory of like we had lots of fun it was not planned but it was also absolutely about us being together and and being empathetic about the different needs that were going on for my son, me being a working mum, my team being distracted. <laughs> like, just drop all of it and go and run around. That's the best. I love that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great idea. Great idea. Well, look, thank you. I think that um, we, we need to wrap up because, um, yeah, we we have school runs to, to get to. But thank you for that. I think um, just to to hear different words you know we've talked about fun we've talked about laughter we've talked about joy all of these things are are, are things that um, people might find easier to connect with sometimes than fun fun work doesn't necessarily go hand in hand but I really connect with that idea today of 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 joy if what you're doing doesn't bring joy eventually then um, you know perhaps it's time to uh, to have a look elsewhere and think about other things um, but thank you very much I think um, the the top tip I'd take away for leaders is is that time it's giving people time and not not wanting to go and then fill that time with anything specific it's you know it's fine sometimes to just bring in some coffee and cake and then just say sit and chat to each other and chill or go to the park as, as Emmy's just experienced so thank you very much for for coming on um, um, Mike when's your book out? Uh, in the UK, it's uh, the end of January. In the US, it's January 3rd. So what we will try and do around the time is remember that it's out and do a competition so that people can um, get hold of a, a copy of it. Um, I'm sure there's four new um, customers, uh, three new customers, sorry, on this. I can't do the math. Three new customers on this call. Um, so you'll you'll have at least three copies sold in the oh, UK. Thank you so much. Can, uh, add to some <laughs> more. Thank you so much to Emmy and Michael for joining us. I learned lots from that episode and I'd love to hear what everyone else thinks of it too. And Zoe, do we need to book an away day at uh, uh, the fun location um, in Hertfordshire? I can think of quite a few um, without having to go anywhere near an escape room. Well, you can come over to my house and I'll make some cake and a nice lunch like I normally do. That for me is fun. I hope it's fun for you sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> it's massively fun and I think the um, um, the the point you made you, you, just before the interview you said about being an introvert and I think I've been exploring um, where I sit on that, that scale recently and I think it's that, that exact same thing. I think a, a good company, um, cooking, listening to music, geeking out, all of that stuff is ex- exceptionally fun to me so I think we're very much in the same boat. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, where it starts at the top one. And you can also email us at starts at the top at gmail.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you get your podcasts, please do take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It all helps with our visibility and reach. And we'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks. Speak to you soon. Bye.